Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. Happy New Year and welcome to the very first episode for 2021. This year I am going to adopt a slightly different format than I have in the past. So for many of you guys who have been following the podcast for a while, you know that in 2020 I made the podcast quite personal and shared a lot of stories, both good and bad, from my own personal financial journey. Many of you guys may have touched on it from the last episode that I'm kind of in a place where there's nothing really new to add in terms of from my own personal journey other than providing quick updates. And look, no doubt that will change in the long term. But at least in the short term, my life mainly consists of working full time, minding three kids and doing my own voluntary and personal passion projects. So there isn't a huge amount of, of fun in my life at the moment. And so for me to be there trying to share a story every month about my own personal financial journey isn't always possible. So what I thought I would do is I have an inbox full of unanswered questions. So thank you to everybody who has reached out to me at one stage or another on the podcast. And I typically do try to get back fairly promptly. And, and most of the time I do. But sometimes I get a question which I just simply don't have the time to answer via email. So I actually thought, do you know what? Why don't I start taking some of these questions and actually turning them into podcast episodes and answering them uh, on various episodes of the podcast? So my plan for 2021, while providing brief updates on my own personal story, will actually be to try and help answer user questions that I get. So if you guys do have various questions and you would like me to try and answer them, then by all means, send me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie and I will do my best to get to them. And you don't have to worry, I will never use your actual full name. I might just use your first name and, um, and then try and get to the questions. So if you guys do have any questions that you want to get answered, by all means, do reach out to me. And at the same time, if you have emailed me and I haven't got back to you, I really do apologize. I promise you that your email is sitting there in my to-do list. And I will either get back to you via email or I will actually, you will hear the answer on a future episode. I should also point out that I will typically answer two or three questions per episode at least. Uh, and the subject of each episode will be you know, one of the questions that are there. But I would recommend trying to take in all of the episodes because the questions won't necessarily be related. And there might be a hidden gem in there that relates to something that you have in particular. Um been wanting to get an answer for. And look, I know it from hosting events as well that I often do a presentation and spend maybe 40 minutes speaking and then we get to a 20 minute Q&A and the Q&A often has far more value than what I'd actually spoken about anyway. So I know that there is uh, good value in there. Lastly, I should just point out that obviously I am not a financial advisor and any advice that I give you guys is strictly my opinion. And that if it does come down to investing advice, then obviously seek independent financial advice from a actual financial advisor. Again, as I always say it, use my own opinion as a way to, to figure out your own path. And look, I am a, I'm a huge overthinker and I've tended to go on out and think about a lot of these things too much. So if I can share some of that knowledge and get you guys moving on and working out your own financial journey, then obviously that's a great help. 
Lastly, before I get on to the first question, I just thought I'd give you guys a very quick update. Uh, so yeah, I actually took two weeks off over Christmas from work. And many of you guys know that I did the semi-retirement experiment that started uh, last November. And yeah, whilst that was all well and good, one of the drawbacks from that is that I pretty much worked every single day that wasn't a public holiday. So I never actually gave myself room to take any holidays off because I was basically working as little as possible. And it meant that I had no leeway for holidays. Um, I guess one of the drawbacks of being a contractor is that you don't have paid holidays. So you've got to kind of work them in throughout the year and factor them in as you go. Me taking off two weeks felt like a very, very long time. And it was a welcomed break. Uh, there certainly was a fairly depressing feeling going back to work. I'm now three days into the year. Um, back to work full time and I already feel like I could do with another break so look it is one of these things but at the same time half of the money that I earn each day is being pushed into the portfolio so it's one of these things where I have to keep the bigger picture in mind and just keep slugging it out for a little while longer. All right so the first question is from Quivan, which I understand is Irish for Kevin. Sorry Quivan, I actually had to look that up um, and get the pronunciation so hopefully I have pronounced your name correctly. The question is, my wife and I are both PAYE earners with high enough incomes with modest, by Dublin standards, costs of living. I was wondering, though, if you're not a contractor, is it worth setting up a company for investing? We regularly invest in the S&P 500 through Tejero and have a regular investment in a mutual fund with Zurich, as well as another financial product with Canton Fitzgerald. I'd love to either hear back from yourself or from someone with similar experience or expertise in the area on a podcast in the future. So yeah, Quivan, you're not alone in asking this question. In fact, it's probably a question that I get uh, a good couple of times a month. And really the question is, you know, we pay so much tax in Ireland and in other countries in Europe on our own investments, and yet we have this lovely low corporate tax rate. So does it actually make sense to set up a company move money into that company and then invest through the company and pay the lower cost of tax for that company. I'm going to give you guys the answer straight away that in my opinion, this does not make a huge amount of sense. And I'm going to explain why this There's actually several reasons. The first reason is because a company doesn't necessarily have a lower rate of tax on investment income. Ireland has this way of having a headline tax rate. And often when you actually look into that tax rate in practice, it isn't always as low as it may seem. So for example, obviously it looks or it appears at least on paper that Ireland has a 12.5% corporate tax rate. But this only applies to a handful of companies, mainly in manufacturing and sales. It doesn't really apply to service companies. In fact, it doesn't apply to service companies at all. So if we take my own web development company, if I leave money in the company, then it gets hit with a professional services charge, which effectively brings that tax rate up to 19.5%. And the thing that they don't talk about with these surcharge taxes is that they're not deductible in the future. And this one's a little bit hard to get your, get your head around. But in the case of corporation tax, if you pay corporation tax this year on your profits, if next year you have a loss, then you will get a refund of that tax or at least a credit from the revenue for that tax in the future. Whereas with a surcharge, it's literally like paying a penalty. It applies to that one year and it's not transferable into future years. So if you have, say, a year where you actually pull more money out of the company that you earn, 
or you don't get that surcharge back, if you kind of get what I mean. It's a little bit confusing. but uh, And it's not something which would be talked about because it, it doesn't really, most people wouldn't notice the difference, but it fundamentally can make a huge difference. Anyway, on to an investment company. When it comes to investments, there is also a surcharge for holding investment income in your company, right? So this is kind of a big problem, and particularly for the likes of Jajeros and so on, that would apply to them. So the actual tax rate on using ETFs in a company is only 25%. So that's obviously a lot lower than 41%. But then you get this surcharge for holding that money in the company, which effectively brings the tax rate up to over 40%. I believe it's around 45% once you've put both of the surcharge and the tax rate in. So immediately it's actually worse off than if you held it personally. So that's reason number one is that there's going to be a whole lot of hidden uh, taxes in there. The second reason is, and I've mentioned this on the, on the previous episode, is that to have a corporation, you are going to be paying at least 800 euros per year to an accountant. And you're going to have to put a whole lot of compliance in. So when you have personal income tax or personal uh, in, investing income, revenue and your accountant typically isn't going to ask for a huge amount of detail on that. They might even be happy with you just setting a spreadsheet up to say, this is what I made. They're not necessarily going to ask you for the ins and outs of that income. Whereas within a corporation, the tax compliance is a lot stricter. And so then paperwork really does grind you down. I have gotten to the habit of investing less and less through my own company. And one of the reasons I've been pushing more money up through my pension is because the paperwork is a killer. And I just couldn't handle paying an accountant extra money and then also having to comply with all the paperwork as well. Whereas with a pension, there's none, basically. Uh, and even with personal investing, there's very, very little. So it's one of these situations where yeah, often you think, oh, Mike, it doesn't sound too bad. But until you're in that situation, you actually realize, my goodness, this is actually taking a lot of time and I'm, I'm paying for somebody's time on this. And then by the time you've got all these other various surcharges and taxes and all of that worked out, you know, you're paying quite a chunk of money to an accountant before you've necessarily made any money from your actual investment income. And the last one, and this is probably the most important one, and this is something which, again, I've probably thought too much about, but it's one of the fundamental things about how I live my life. And for anybody who's, who's ever met me, if you actually met me and looked at what I'm wearing and looked at the car that I drive, you'd probably think I'm, I'm probably the poorest person you know, in, in a room, typically. And often I do feel that way, right? So when it comes to actually living off our own after-tax income, yeah, after-tax income for us is very, very scarce because we live off the tax cut-off rate, which gives an income of around 44,300 euros. So it's fairly scarce and money after tax feels fairly scarce. Whereas within a company before tax money, that's quite the opposite, right? So when it comes to an expense that a company has, I never really blink or think too much about that versus an expense that we might have personally, which might only be a fraction of the amount that the company has, but I'm really nervous about paying that money because I know that after-tax money is scarce. And the cost of that after-tax money, right? And there is a cost of that after-tax money, obviously the tax that you pay on it. And that in Ireland and other countries in Europe can be as much as 50%. So effectively, you are taking money that you've earned, you paid the government 50% on it, and now you have it. Once you have that money in your own name, why would you then want to distribute it back through to another company to only then have to pay tax on it again to get it back out? Right. And look, obviously, there's a case to say, right, you put that money in as a drawing, you know, you can get the at least the capital back without having to pay a penalty on it. But now you're in a situation where you pay tax on the profits through the company. And now at some stage, you have to draw that money out of the company 
and you're now going to pay tax on those profits again. It just doesn't make any sense, right? So the key here is there's always two factors in financial independence when it comes to tax. There's the income tax, which is a tax that you pay on your capital, and then there's the tax that you pay on your profit from your investments. Now, for me, the bigger factor is the tax that you pay on the capital, and that's what most people don't think about, right? So the reason that I push so much money into my pension is because it is a tax-free way of getting my capital through to my portfolio. And ultimately, it's that capital that we need to actually grow and live off the profits. The actual capital that we're generating over time is, is money that we're actually never going to touch or see. Long-term, it's the profits that we're going you know, to actually be living off. So the profits from the investment income or from our portfolio is ultimately what we're going to be living off. And our hope is that that profit will exceed 4% per year, and we will end up dying with the capital that we actually earned. Thinking about how that money is generated and how that actually comes through is very, very important. And if you're losing half of that to tax, then that for me is the bigger problem. And, and trying to work out how to generate that and keep that is more important than worrying about the tax that we pay on profits. Because at least in the initial stages, that is a much smaller percentage than the actual tax that we pay on the capital that we're trying to boost up. All right, so I hope I've kind of explained that well. It's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, when people kind of say, oh, I don't always understand why people utilize pensions and so on. And by the way, a lot of people say, oh, pensions don't return as much as, they, as the market says. I mean, I, I have three pensions and one of the third one I only just started late last year, but the other two returned 9% last year, right? And they were largely in, in index funds. But if you look at some of the ETFs, say the S&P 500 ETF last year, it only returns 6%. Yes, the US economy and the US share market returns 16%, but as I know from trading Forex, the euro has strengthened so much over the last few months that that return was kind of diminished because the euro strengthened at the same time. So for me to get 9%, I actually beat the market um, through, my, through, through my pension. So I don't always buy into this concept that pension uh, returns are lower. It really depends on what your pension account is. Uh, but look, that's a little bit off topic. But yeah, hopefully I've kind of explained that in terms of why we're trying to build our capital. And, you know, yes, 41% tax on ETFs sucks. It's it's no fun. That may change in the future. Uh, I know there are particular groups. Um, and Sean, who, who's a follower of the podcast, who, who I do hope to get on the on an episode one day, is actively um, fighting with various TDs around the country to try and get that changed. But that may change in the future. We don't know. So keeping that money, once that money has been paid out, you should really try and keep it as, as best you can. If you are looking to you know, find a, other solutions to this problem, then I've mentioned on the show before about maybe trying to look to set yourself up as a contractor or find another source of income and then eventually set that up as a company. But ultimately, if you're going to set up a company, it should be because you've got some sort of trading income and you're using that company then to distribute that income either through to a director's pension or to keep it in the company and uh, and prevent yourself paying 50% tax on it. All right, well, I had planned on my uh, little bit of paper here to answer four or five questions on this episode, but I can see already that I am already running out of time. So again, I apologize, guys, if I'm not getting through as much as I would like to. Uh, I am trying to, to release at least one episode per month, but uh, given how many questions I have here, I might have to find that I'm doing more than that this year. So we'll see how we go. Yeah, the next question is from Peter, and Peter sent me a huge deal of questions. Peter, I'm very, very thankful for all the questions you've sent me. I actually have a year's worth of podcast episodes just from your questions alone. So my plan is just to cherry pick a few of them each episode and try and get through them. And uh, I'm going to try and 
get these ones through fairly quickly, guys. It's going to be quick fire. So Peter asks, what happens if the markets crash with your current portfolio? Is there a safety net if things go badly? Or is this simply where diversification comes in? Okay, so Peter is basically asking, do I fear market crashes? And do I fear my portfolio value being cut in half? The answer, the short answer to that, Peter, is absolutely not. Uh, actually, today is exactly 12 months since I lost 6,000 euro trading and shorting gold. And a year ago, my portfolio value was in the 80,000 range. So I think I had around 86,000 euro when that happened. And as of today, actually, I hit 150,000 euro in my portfolio for the first time. So I have effectively doubled my portfolio in 12 months, which is, which is pretty good going given, as you guys know, how much money I lost last year. When we had a market crash back in March last year, you guys might remember, I did mention now is a great time to buy, and I firmly believe that. And the only time I would ever fear my portfolio being cut in half was after I'd actually retired and after I'd stopped giving or putting money into the portfolio. And even then, by that stage, I would have realized that market crashes are inevitable, they're a natural part of the cycle, and that that's just that. But at the moment, when I'm trying to build capital and grow that portfolio, I dream of market crashes. I would love a market crash, particularly in the share market, right? So that's the ultimate place where you can actually start getting more of those units for cheaper. Housing market as well. So yeah, I do now own two houses. I have one investment property. But even then, I would still love the housing market to crash and be able to get property for cheaper. So yeah, I definitely don't fear market crashes and neither should you guys, right? Um, Now, yeah, the exception to this might be the likes of Bitcoin and things like that, where they're so high and there's so much volatility. But again, I do own some Bitcoin. It did really well last year. I don't own enough to it to have any meaningful difference on my life, but I have a little bit. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily trust Bitcoin as much as I would other asset classes. But again, I, yeah, I certainly don't fear that. I just think it's a natural part of the cycle. And when it does, you want to be holding enough cash so you can take advantage of that. So that's why I typically try and hold around 10% cash in my portfolio just to be able to take opportunities. And I kind of learned that the hard way back from March last year about not having enough cash at the time to be able to fully adapt and take advantage of that. So that's why I hold a little bit more cash now. Um, But yeah, diversification certainly is a big thing. Um, But remember in the FIRE community, a lot of guys are doing it from 100% index funds. So don't be afraid to adopt that strategy. The key is to have the foresight and the perseverance not to panic when things start to go bad, which they inevitably do. Okay, Peter's next question here is, it, it might seem silly, but a recent FIRE calculator gave us a number of 41 years old to retire, so by 2036, fair play. What happens to this number when we have extra costs such as mortgage, kids, house insurance? Do you just readjust the numbers and push the FI number further down the track? Yeah, a great question. So I have based my financial independence number on 2,000 euros per month as an expense. Now, I can live off, or we can live off 2,000 euros per month. We cannot live well off 2,000 euros per month, right? So 2,000 euros per month is like a lockdown spending budget. So yeah, when we're now in the third wave, level five restrictions have just hit in Ireland and schools are shut and you know all our normal expenses have gone. And I turned to my wife and said, yippee, we've just, bud- we've just balanced our budget this month. So the great thing about these lockdowns is that you do save money, but our number of 2,000 euros a month is very much based on what I would call a lockdown number, if you like. Uh, there's no holidays, there's no extra golf lessons, there's no joy, so to speak. We are living. Now, there's still joy in living when you don't have to work, obviously. But the way that I see it is that, yeah, look, 
ultimately we would all love to have as much money as possible during retirement and particularly with early retirement, but we need to set ourselves some sort of manageable goal. Saving up 2 million euro is going to be hard work for anybody and most people would give up at that goal when they had to try and do that. So by me setting some sort of realistic number of say 600,000 euros, which is what I'd need off a 2,000 euros a month spend, it at least gives me something which is achievable, ideally within the next five and a half years according to my calculator. Now when I get there, that doesn't necessarily mean that I would retire, I would see myself as financially independent and I would then make a decision on what I want to do. I know that I would like to work less. That is probably my main requirement. So go back to part-time work or semi-casual hours. But to answer your question, Peter, the way I see it is you always have the opportunity to go back to work when you retire. Nobody is saying you cannot work anymore. You're 41 years old and you're just going to sit around watching TV all day. Try doing that for two weeks, you'll be bored. So I think it's very unlikely that you're going to get to retirement and early retirement and go, yep, that's me done. I think it's more likely you might take a few months off and then you might do, start doing some consulting or you might find that you go back to work part-time or you go and pick up some sort of hobby and then that leads to some sort of uh, money coming in. I just can't see ourselves in a situation where we do nothing for all that time. And so the way I look at it is my idea is to become financially independent, hit that number and then you know stop contributing to my pension so that I can actually cut back half the number of hours that I'm working maybe take a job doing something that I actually love and I'm passionate about. Uh, maybe the Forex trading thing that I'm doing takes off and that starts bringing a more stable income. You know, there's, there's various options, but it's about doing something different from now. So hopefully that has answered your question, guys. I am going to wrap that up. I do have more questions to cover, but I will continue these on the next episode. And as, a, as I mentioned earlier at the start of the episode, if you guys do have any questions on anything I've discussed today, or if you do have any questions that you would like me to cover on the podcast, then certainly just drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're a big fan of the show, why not become an Irish Fire Podcast member for free? Members receive access to inside information that isn't shared on the podcast, as well as regular updates such as a monthly newsletter. To become a member, visit www.firepodcast.ie